This weekend, we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the lunar landing. Happened late last night and into the wee hours of this morning where Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were walking on the surface of the moon. A little over 50 years ago now, on September the 12th, 1962, President Kennedy exclaimed to 40,000 people listening at the Rice University football stadium, he said, we choose to go to the moon. And then he followed that up with, we choose to go to the moon this decade. Now, if I was President Kennedy, I'd have probably started in 60. You can give yourself a couple extra years. But he said, we're going to the moon, and everyone was so excited. And he said, we're doing it this decade. We're making it happen. And truth be told, when he said that, nobody had any idea how to do it or how they were going to accomplish it. When Apollo 8 made its first test orbit to the moon in 1968, it was the first time anyone had left the Earth's orbit, and the NASA flight uh, director of operations, Chris Kraft, gave it a 50-50 chance of success. They knew what they hoped to accomplish, but they didn't know how it was going to turn out. And the, the words that President Kennedy spoke, it was the vision about what they hoped to happen, what they were going to work towards together. And vision isn't the promise of certainty, it's the challenge for a compelling risk. Now, I thought all of us maybe remember the race with the Soviet Union to get to the moon and to be the first one out there and to put a man on the moon, or maybe you're a history buff and you went back in and you read these things if they happened before your lifetime. But even if we were living then, it was 50 years ago, and I thought we could all use a refresher. So here just in a couple minutes is some of the history of what happened between what President Kennedy said and what we celebrate, the accomplishment of putting two men on the moon. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. Famous words of Neil Armstrong that we've heard them repeated and we've heard those recordings. Has anybody ever seen this one of the space shuttles take off in real life? Anybody ever go down to Florida or anywhere for a launch? A couple of people have. I remember as a, an elementary school age anyway, I went to a family, we went to the North American Christian Convention and one of the outings for the kids was to go to the Kennedy Space Center. It was just, an it was so impressive. The size of the American flag on the side of the building and the size of the crawler, that's probably the wrong word for it, that brings the space shuttle out to the launch site. And it's just so impressive. What was able to accomplish and people worked together. I've seen, I haven't seen a rocket uh, uh, launch up close, but I've seen one from a distance from my mother-in-law's backyard in central Florida. Where we knew there was a, a space shuttle taking off, and we could see it just off in the distance. It just kind of looked like a plane going a little different direction. But it's really neat just, just to imagine what we are capable of doing with the gifts that God has given us when we have a vision, a goal that's before us, and we work together to do that. When the Apollo 11 landed on the moon, the average age of the NASA engineers was 28. 28. And they probably thought a lot like the British statesman William Pitt, who stated in the movie Amazing Grace, he said, we're too young to know certain things are impossible, so we'll do them anyway. <laughs> do them anyway. 
This Sunday, like last Sunday and like every Sunday that will come before us, we'll also remember together what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we remember that together through communion. We remember, as Dave talked about, the power that is unleashed that comes from God. That when we pray, we unleash the power of God and what we're reminded of these simple emblems that can become, if I'm, if I'm not careful, just kind of, ah, oh, yeah, we'll do this again. Yeah, Jesus died and I'm forgiven and that's great, but I'm hungry. What we remember together is so powerful. And it's a story worth repeating, even if it's not new to us. Among his personal effects, Buzz Aldrin brought with him some things that were undocumented. It wasn't very much. It's not that he snuck them on, but he could bring a couple things on there that weren't on the flight manifest. And what he was able to do is that he brought some wine and he brought a little wafer. And so he took communion on the moon. Before he and Neil went out, in fact, I'll show you a, a postcard on a 3 by 5 card. He wrote his address back to Mission Control. And these are the words that he said, kind of like Neil Armstrong's word. He didn't just think of that off the top of his head. He planned that in advance, what he was going to say. But he took this card with him. And I want you to hear this address that he made from the surface of the moon, from the eagle back to earth. With people listening, maybe you remember. You may need to turn it up a little bit. I want you to hear what he says. All right, Houston, tranquility, over. Tranquility, Houston, go ahead. Roger, this is the LEM pilot. I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening in, whoever, wherever they may be, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his or her own way. Over. Roger, what is written on the card, he probably didn't have quite enough space to bring a Bible with him, but he wrote some scripture on there. And what Buzz did, as other people were observing a moment of silence, he wanted to read these scriptures over the broadcast, but NASA had gotten in some trouble for doing that, so they elected not to. What he wrote, he says, as Jesus said, this is John chapter 15, or verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then again, below that, in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, and I'll come back to both of those. He read, as he was reflecting, the words of the psalmist, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? In a moment where Buzz could have said, look at me and look at what we have done and look at all of the things that we have accomplished together, he put thought ahead of time and he said, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? How am I going to show this isn't just about me, but it's about something bigger than me? <laughs> I can't even imagine how much more you're reminded of just how small you are as you're flying through space and landing on the moon. And it'd be really easy to think, hey, look how smart we are. Look at what we did. It's easy for you and I to do that as well when we're trying to accomplish or we, we, whatever it is, we could say, look at how smart we are. 
Look at what we did. But the, the attitude and the mindset that I need to have is that look at what God has chosen to do through me. Look at what God has entrusted to us. And I want to read the context around Psalm 8 and around John 15. Psalm chapter 8, it's not an incredibly long psalm, and I'll read the whole thing. It's entitled, it says, How Majestic Is Your Name? To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, the Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly kings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. When you accomplish something great, when you know people are going to be paying attention, when you think about what you are going to say, where does it come from? You want to thank all the people that helped you? Do you want to say, look at what we did? Or are your first thoughts to turn to the words of God and to use whatever platform that God has given you to remind people of just how great he is? Because you never know when you get a chance to have those people in front of you again, to have the whole world listening. Now, maybe you and I, we're not very likely to have the whole world listening to us because as much as we care about ourselves, nobody's paying that much attention when we do a live video on Facebook or anything else. But do our thoughts first go to God and how we can proclaim his truth and maybe what we would describe or what other people would describe as our greatest moment? What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Well, Buzz and you and I, and the psalmist knows the answer to that question, that we are the capstone of God's creation. God created everything, and it was good. And then he created man and woman, and it was very good. And then he could rest because his creation was complete. Around here, we talk about following after Jesus, and it's not something that's new. We're not trying to create anything that's new. The Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. But what we do make sure we want to accomplish is have this vision for the future about what God wants for us, how he wants for more people to be included in the kingdom of God because you and I are a part of it today. And that's what we always want to be working towards. We want to make disciples. We want to make Christians. We want to make believers. You can use whatever word you want to call us. But that's the mission that God has put before us. And we talk about what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who loves God and others. It comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. A disciple bears fruit. John chapter 15, verse 8. It's within that context of John chapter 15 that Buzz read from where he said, Jesus says, you are the vine and I am the branches apart from me. You can't produce anything worthwhile. That's a paraphrase. And then Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and following, we're to equip, other, equip others for service or for ministry, for the things that God has called for you and I to do as the church collectively and individually as the believers who make it up. A disciple loves God and others, bears fruit, and equips others for service. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read a little bit more out of John chapter 15. 
I'm going to read verses 1 to 17. It'll encapsulate what, what Buzz read and a few of the words that I paraphrased some already. Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruit, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's, like, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you are to love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servant, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask my Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command to you, so that you will love one another. Apart from Jesus, we don't accomplish things that are worthwhile in this life. We don't. They might seem like they are. They might give us a little bit of gratification. But in the long run, it's going to be forgotten. It's not going to matter. Think about our lives within the 100-year rule and apply that. And 100 years from now, is anybody going to care about what's bothering me right now or this big issue that I can't seem to get over? Now, I will tell you this. If it has to do with your eternal salvation, with where you will spend eternity, God cares. And because of that, we care. And that we want everything that we do to point other people to Jesus so that we are growing. Now, there will come times, there are times in our faith, no, no matter if you're new to the church or uh, been in the church for a long time, it's not just a progression where we grow and we get closer to God and more mature. And we, but hopefully, the longer that you and I are a part of the church and that we're in this community together with one another, encouraging one another, loving one another, praying for one another, serving one another, worshiping with one another, what we see is that trajectory goes up, that we become more mature. Now, we will hit those stages in life where your spirituality, it doesn't feel like you're growing in Jesus. It doesn't feel like you're, and there are other times where maybe you've, you've declined, you seem, seems that way anyway. We've experienced that. We live long enough to know that that happens. But what God is always for us, God always wants the very best for us, not in a worldly bless you with lots of material possessions kind of way but in a way that God is our creator and he knows us best. And because he knows us best, he knows better than me. I need to follow his plan for my life and not my plan for my life. That I need to be willing to listen to what God has to say to us and that I need to be flexible when things adapt or when things change. 
going back to our historical achievement that we celebrate this weekend, NASA had carefully chosen the landing spot for Apollo 11 on the moon, um, but that option disappeared when Eagle separated from Columbia and during the descent, and unvented air pushed them further away and faster than planned, and they put them on a tra- trajectory to overshoot their landing spot by four miles. Four miles. They didn't realize the severity of it until Neil Armstrong, as they're getting just a couple hundred feet above the surface of the moon, and he sees car-sized craters in the place that they're now supposed to land. So he took over being a seasoned pilot. Hadn't flown to the moon before, but he knew how to handle an aircraft, and he had to improvise, and he had to change because they didn't want to land right there and go crashing because I don't think AAA could have gotten to him. I don't think State Farm could have gotten there. I don't care how good your agent says that they are. They're not going to be able to get up there and to protect them. So he had to take over the controls from the computer and safely guide Eagle down to the surface of the moon. With no more than 20 to 30 seconds of fuel left, they landed on the Sea of Tranquility. And had that seasoned astronaut not exercised flexibility in that moment, history would have recorded something very, very different. It would still be 50 years from today, but it probably wouldn't be as a joyful an occasion. It would have been a much different story for Apollo 11 and their families and probably could have been the whole space program. What you and I need, what the church needs, what our family needs, what our community around us needs are seasoned believers. So that when something happens in our life and it's not going according to our plan, that we can make an adjustment and that we go to our Father and we want to talk to Him and say, God, show me what I'm supposed to do because I thought that we had this figured out together, God. We talked a lot and I thought I was following after your plan, but things changed. And what you and I, the church, we need seasoned believers. We need people who are growing in our faith. We need people who have been for the church in the church for a long time that are going to help the next generation. We need people who maybe are just coming to the church that God just lights a fire in and that they become seasoned very quickly because God doesn't have to abide by my rules. God can do whatever he wants and he does whatever he wants. But we need to become seasoned so that when things happen, we can make adjustments and the results are things down the road that we can celebrate, not things that become catastrophic. In the same way that we need seasoned songs that we sing when it comes to worship, as Phil talked about singing, How Great Thou Art. What a beautiful story that all of the verses of that old hymn tells. We need seasoned songs like that so that when our memory fades, when our hearing fades, when our mind fades, and we can't recall anything else, we can sing the words of worship to our God. And you have seen this happen, I bet where memories are gone, but our brains are powerful. But we also need to make sure that we can draw in people who are far from God. And as much as How Great Thou Art is a phenomenal song, and I always want to sing it because the lyrics are deep and rich, not all all of our old songs have deep and rich lyrics. Some of the old songs' lyrics are just as shallow as some of the new songs that we may want to pick on. Now, we all have our favorite ones for one reason or another, and my, dis- my point of bringing that up is not a style issue. It's a, our, what we, is, our words matter. What we say matters. What we sing matters. And that's why we want to pay careful attention to what we say, to what we do, and to what we proclaim together as a people of God. 
We need seasoned believers so that we can make adjustments, that we can listen to God, and that when something crazy happens in life or happens in the life of somebody else, that we can help, that God wants to use you to go and to help a family that is struggling, that God wants to go use you and invest in someone whose faith is declining, that God wants to use you to go after and to, to capture somebody for the kingdom of God that is going to hell today if they don't make a decision. We need experience and that we need to work together. People are always going to be skeptic about what we believe. People are still, I won't, no show of hands, please. We can talk about it later, but so they're still skeptics. If you poll um, people across our country, one in 20 Americans don't believe the moon landing actually happened, that it was staged and Hollywood filmed it. And the, when anything in life, regardless of whatever evidence we may have or people say that's made up, and here's, people are always going to be skeptical of what we believe. But what you and I need to make sure is that we are founded in Jesus, that we know what the Bible says. You're only going to know what the Bible says when you spend time in it, reading it, talking about it with your family, reading a devotion together, reading it on your own, coming together as a church so you can hear somebody get up and talk about God's word. But you don't need me to do that. Because you can hear from God. As you're driving to work, you can pull out your phone. Don't touch it. Set up ahead of time so you're safe. You can play it through the Bluetooth in your car and have an audio Bible read Scripture to you because the more that we spend time in God's Word, the more that we're going to know what our Father is going to say to us. The more that we're going to be um, comfortable with who we are and who God has created us to be and not listen to the lies of the enemy around us that tell us we're not worthy, that we'll never overcome, you'll never get out of this, you can't, you won't, God doesn't love, you'll never be healed. Those aren't the messages that come from our Father. They're not. We need to know what God's Word says. Now, prior to all the news about this 50th anniversary, um, I'll, I'll admit to you that if you'd have asked me before, like certainly Armstrong and Aldrin are common household names, but Collins... I wouldn't have put that in there. I wouldn't have. Michael Collins rode in what they called the loneliest seat. He stayed on the Columbia. He orbited the moon 30 times while Neil and Buzz spent 21 hours and 36 minutes on the moon's surface. Collins was the lifeline homed and served as an indispensable role because without that third man on the team, yeah, he didn't go to the moon, but if he wasn't there, there was nobody manning the ship back there. So he was a valuable and an indispensable part of the Apollo 11 mission. And at least for me anyway, he gets forgotten. The name just doesn't roll off the tip of my tongue or my mind. But had he responded to failure, failure like sometimes we respond to failure, he wouldn't have been in that seat. The West Point graduate was a test pilot at Edwards Air Force Base in California when he watched John Glenn become the first um, American to orbit the Earth. He immediately applied to become an astronaut. He was rejected. He was devastated, calling it a big flop, a big failure. Rather than concede, he still pursued this desire that he had to be an astronaut. And he applied a year later, and he was selected in 1963, seven years before he circled the moon 30 times on Neil and... Buzz were walking around on the moon. Seven years before that, he was told he didn't know enough to be an astronaut. He wasn't skilled enough. He didn't have, they couldn't teach him to be an astronaut. But his perseverance got him to the moon, and as we like to say a lot, and back. 
And that's not, just not a figure of speech. When it comes to being persistent in our faith with the things that God has instilled in us to do, we need to keep working. Scripture tells us we are to never grow tired of doing good. Never grow weary of doing good. Never, church friends, never grow tired of doing the right thing for God. It doesn't matter if your family appreciates it. It doesn't matter if anybody notices. It doesn't matter if your friends see it or your neighbors or anybody else. Scripture implores with us. God tells us to never grow tired of doing good. The most good that we can do is to bring people who are far from Jesus close to Jesus. Friends, we don't do that on, on our own. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit that is inside every believer. He convicts. Because by ourselves, our potential, honestly, not that impressive. With God, we can't even imagine the depths of the thing that God wants to accomplish. Because God is always with you. That God is always for you. Now, he doesn't give you the desires of your heart because Scripture tells us our hearts are evil. But God wants the best for you. He is our creator. He wants the most for you. And the best for you is God's way. May we become seasoned believers. May we continue to become a seasoned church sprinkled with new believers and people that are far from God and people who don't even think Jesus is real. May God bring them to us. And may he entrust them to us. Not by our own ingenuity, but the power of his Holy Spirit that is at work within our church, within the one and only church. And the things that we will accomplish, the vision for the next 10 years, the vision for the next 50 years, the vision for the next 93 years, will blow our socks off when we're following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, with just a moment of silence, God, I pray you that you continue to, to work in our lives. God, that you encourage us, that you light a spark in us to desire your word. God, that we're not apathetic towards our faith or the things that you've called for us to do. God, that we don't just go through the motions, but Father, that we look forward to working and serving together as the church. And God, that we love coming together to sing your praises which with lyrically deep and rich songs. God, that honor you. Because the audience isn't us. The audience is you. Worship is not about us and what we get out of it. It is what we send to you. God, thank you for teaching us. And Father, thank you for our Bibles. That is your word. That is the final source for everything that we believe. And God, when those times come in life where what we think we know or believe contradicts what your word says, God, I pray that you put people in our lives to lovingly speak truth to us and to show us when we're wrong. God, I thank you for the church and I thank you for all of these people that are here this morning. God, may we leave this place on mission, focused on reaching those who are lost and growing to become the season's believers that our families, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, this world need. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.